Read along with me, if you would, please. Numbers chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of, make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and the directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, well, then the leaders of the heads of the divisions of Israel shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is gathered together, you shall blow but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. And these shall be to you an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also, when the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets, offer your burnt offerings, and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now it came to pass on the twentieth day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of testimony. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai in their journeys, or on their journeys. Then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So the standard of the Lord, uh, the standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies over the army of Nashon the son of Aminadab, over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar, was Natanel, the son of Zuar. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Chalon. Now, if you've been with us for a while, these names actually, strangely enough, may even sound a little familiar, because they were in chapters 1 and 2, if you remember when he said these were the heads of the tribes. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon, the sons of Merari, set out carrying the tabernacle. The standard of the camp of Reuben sent out according to their armies. Over the army was Elizur, the son of Shedur. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shalumiel, the son of Zorushadai. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Elishaf, the son of Duel. Aren't you glad I'm reading this and not you? Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy things the tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. The standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set out according to their armies. Over their armies was Elishema, the son of Amihud. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Tadazur. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Avidan, the son of Gideoni, the Italian, of course. Then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps set out according to their armies. Over the army was Achiezer, the son of Amishadai. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pagiel, the son of Akran. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Aftali was Ahira, the son of Enam. This Thus was the order of march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. Now Moses said to Hobab, who names their children Hobab? Sorry, if your child's name Hobab, sorry. The son of Ruel. The Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. By the way, he has another name, and it's much better, Jethro. We are setting out for the place in which the Lord has said, I will give it to you. Come out with us, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. And he said, Oh, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my relatives. But So Moses said, Please don't leave. Inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness, and you can be our eyes. It shall be, if you go with us, indeed it shall be, that whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we will do to you. So, they departed from the mountain of the Lord on the journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. So it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. Now read a couple of verses into the next chapter, if you would. 
Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Teverah. Could you say Teverah? It means burning. Appropriate. Because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. And then it said that the mixed mold yielded to intense cravings. Will you pray for me, please? Lord, I just pray right now for the power of your Holy Spirit to come upon me to do your work. Every second be redeemed. Have your way, Lord, in such a way that we would be consumed in this. We would be engrossed in this, captivated by your truth. And in that, Lord, speak to us now. Make yourself so clear. And we praise you, Lord. We praise you for the privilege of being able to say yes to you. We praise you, Lord, for the honor that it is, Lord, to come before you right now and just enjoy you. So, Lord, may we have so much fun in your word. May you teach, encourage. May you, Lord, strengthen and equip for every good work. And, Lord, may every one of us personally be ministered in our heart of hearts now, I pray. And, Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you, let this be the day of their salvation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. would say today is I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Can you say the word... Chatsosara. That wasn't bad. Chatsosara. Now, what is a chatsosara, you might ask? Yes, I thought you would ask that. A chatsosara looks like this. This is a chatsosara, which is what we're looking at in our chapter. As a matter of fact, how do we know what it looks like? Hey, those pictures, by the way. Would you flip to the picture of the Arch of Titus? by the way. You'll see, by the way, in Rome, one of the nice things is that they like to document their victories. In AD 70, as you're aware of, Titus actually and his army destroyed Jerusalem, taking things captive from it. Well, that arch, by the way, that commemorates that particular victory, the destruction of the temple, is actually still in Rome to this day. It looks like that. We've been there a few times. And if you look on these inner walls right here, you will actually see the victory carved in the sides of these walls. Let me show you one of those walls. Go ahead and flip there if you would. This is what it looks like. Take a look at those. So you kind of get the idea that's what they would kind of look like. Kind of like that. Ooh, look at that. Almost. There you go. And obviously this is where they get the model for what the menorah looks like as well. And this just shows you they had video cameras back in those days. They were much larger, as you can see. Now listen, it has been about 11 months that we've been on Mount Sinai, all the way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, when Moses gets his calling. God says, I'll show you who I am. You'll come back here and worship me on this mountain. And now, guess what? Here we are back at this mountain. But hear me on this. This is only a temporary place. That's the danger is, it's enough for some to get out of the bondage they're in, but it's not enough for God. Good is not good for God. God is a God of awesome, or should I dare say awful, full of awe. Good's the worst. As a Christian, good should be our worst. God has called us to amazing, to excellence. So please hear me in this. Though we were just happy to no longer be in the land of bondage, and we've been there for almost a year now, God had actually given these crazy rules that said, hey, when we break camp, this is the way it's going to work. I'm going to give you four banners, four standards, one for three tribes apiece. Judah will start, Reuben will follow, and then we'll become Ephraim, and then after Ephraim will come Dan. Now, those four, by the way, those four standards, as we know it, would be that of a lion, as in the lion of the tribe of Judah. It would be that of an ox. It would be that of a man, and it would be that of an eagle. Dan would carry the eagle. Interesting, because they're the very four things that testify of the four Gospels. As Matthew presents Jesus as the King of Kings. As, did, I say, did I say an ox in there? I want to make sure there was a fourth one. Good. The ox, that of the animal of burden, the servant, as Mark presents Jesus as the servant of servants. As Luke presents Jesus as the man of men. And as John presents, Jesus is God. 
Now understand, in the first nine chapters here, God has said, hey, by the way, you're going to break camp and you're going to move. And we all go, yeah, 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 yeah. We nod and agree. But we've been here for months. We have been here for now almost a year. And now God says, here's how we move. Here's the problem, beloved. When God said we, he meant we. He didn't mean the pastor and a few people, we. And he said, this is what's going to happen. There will be two of these babies, silver trumpets. And when they're blown, you know that something's up. Now, God will tell us about short blasts and long blasts, but the idea is quite simple. When you hear a trumpet, it's time to go. God does not treat us like teenagers. In other words, I'm going to blow a trumpet. Another two hours, I'm going to blow another trumpet. Another couple hours, I'm going to blow a trumpet again. And then I'm going to wait for you at the door. Mm -mm. You know, God said, when you hear this, get up and go. Our whole life now lives in the shadow of trumpet. I want you to recognize that. We have to have a trumpet-ready life. Because like it or not, when the trumpet comes, we go. Because God's going. Which shows us that God, by the way, doesn't have to wait. That's a dangerous thing. Now, there are other horns God will speak of. They are, let me show you what they kind of look like. There are two other ones, and they come from animal horns. Like this one. This is normally a feast-oriented horn. And this is kind of the fun of it, by the way. Because, and I should do it this, by the way. Does anyone know what this is called? It's called a shofar. You know, shofar is just the Hebrew word for horn, so it's nothing fancy. It's just, you know, so someone says, hey, I picked up a shofar horn. So it's like saying, I picked up a horn horn. But then we came from the place where they had the Los Angeles angels, which means the, the angels, angels, because the Los Angeles means the angels. And that sounds, that was the sound, by the way, of shearing the sheep. <laughs> As some of you saw it. That is the call for a feast. And it is important to recognize this was the animal, one of the animals that grew there. It's neat to know that, by the way, you didn't actually rip this off while they were alive. Those poor guys walking around going, I'm a baby unicorn. No, actually, he waited till they died. That was the idea. Hey, why is one side of your head bigger than the other, buddy? Oh, those Jewish people. I don't know. They want to blow a horn. So here's the other one. <coughs> and this is the other one that is used, by the way, for calling families. So, for instance, if uh, David has his family and he wants to call them all to dinner. It's a deeper sound. And each one has a very distinct sound to it. God tells us here, by the way, you're to make two silver trumpets. And those two silver trumpets, by the way, are to prepare you to go now. It's time to go. When those trumpets sound, we go. It isn't like we can debate on it. It's kind enough for God to tell us, to be honest. God could have just scooped us up, but he wanted to make sure that we all had a chance. Now, we've got roughly, can I just say it this way? Listen, the amount of people that Moses is actually seeking to lead here is roughly somewhere around 20% of all of London. Think that out. That's an awful lot of people. Think of half, or I should say 20%, a fifth of London, Moses has to walk around with these people and call them to attention. And that's what he's doing here. And the Lord says, it is time. Oh, by the way, when you blow these trumpets, it's time to go. And before the chapter is over, we go. Here's the problem. We've now, and by the way, Sinai, does anyone know what Sinai means? Sinai? It means like barren dry and desert-like. I think it's interesting. That's where God took him first. I mean, he walked him through some places to get here. Follow me on this. A little bit of the motive of God. This is kind of how it worked. God, first of all, dropped all of the false gods of Egypt. Then he rescued his people out of bondage. And then he walked them through the water. By the way, some of you will have that opportunity this Friday. While the other people panicked, by the way. And then God settled them down so he could dwell among them. And once he settled them down to dwell among them, they had a Passover together to remind them that they're free. Let me remind you that you're free. 
And as they were reminded that they were free, we read that the whole last portion of the chapter, of chapter 9, was sort of like they stayed when God stayed, and they went when God went, at the command of the Lord. When the pillar left, they left, at the command of the Lord. When the pillar stayed, they stayed, at the command of the Lord. And they lived their life at the command of the Lord. That was the idea. And God says, I'm going to make it easy on you. We're not going to have, like jazz bands, Miles Davis can't play right now. Because all trumpets are going to be used to call people to attention. And I want you to know, when that trumpet happens, you have to be ready to go. Listen, when that trumpet happens, you have to be ready to go. God does not say, when the trumpet happens, then go ahead and wait for me to do it again. Listen to this. The Lord shall descend from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 starting in verse 16. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are alive and still remain will be caught up. That word caught up, by the way, in the Latin is the word rapturas. That's where we get the word rapture from. It says caught up together with the Lord to meet him in the air, and therefore we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says encourage each other with these words. The problem is, is that even the most barren place can look good when you're used to bondage. Hey, at least I'm not getting beat like I used to. But that's not the place he has for you. God says, you'll actually be able to go to a place where I will be able to provide for you in every way. It will be a land flowing with milk and honey. And the idea of that is abundance of so many good things everybody else in the world should be jealous. That's not where you're at the moment, but you're on your way if you're willing to be living in the light of the trumpet. Hey, there's going to be a day, and that could be today, when that trumpet gets blown. And I guarantee you, when the Lord comes, you don't have time to tell him, oh, one second. I'm just about to get married. Hold on a second. I'm just about to get that new Xbox. Hold on a second. I'm about to get the high score. I guarantee you it won't, you won't have time for that. When the trumpet happens, we go. Now the Lord tells us here that he spoke this. It's interesting by the way the term the Lord spoke will be used for what it's worth 138 times in the Bible. 52 of those times are in this book. Between this book and Leviticus, 65% of the times the Lord speaks, recorded as the Lord spoke, are recorded in those two books. Those books that people try to read quickly through. And yet, the Lord spoke, and then the Lord spoke, and then the Lord spoke, and we're like, yeah, 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 people's names and whatever. But those trumpets, by the way, can't be just ordinary trumpets. They have to be of a single piece. They have to be unified. And they have to be beaten. Oh, who likes that? This chapter is the chapter of the beating. The next chapter, is the, or is the next chapter will be the chapter of the fire. Two different ways, which, by the way, God purifies. And he tells us that if you blow, in one case, if both of them are working together, the entire congregation comes together. On the other side, if, if you blow only one, well, then it's the leaders. And it tells us how that works. Starting with the east side, then the south side, and it works clockwise. East, south, west, and north. And that's the way it'll work. That will be Judah, who will always seem to lead things behind the ark. Of course, that makes sense, since from the the lineage of of Judah will be our Messiah, Jesus himself. He's going to lead us. And it will be Judah, and then it will be the oldest. And then it will be Reuben. And then from there it will be Ephraim, who, by the way, Jacob sought to make the firstborn. And then it will be Dan. And those that will follow him. Notice, by the way, in this particular journey, he says then, these trumpets will also be blown if you go to war. I find it interesting, he doesn't say against those people that make your life a little nasty, against those people who irritate you. He just says, look at verse 9, when you go to war against the enemy who oppresses you. That's what an enemy really looks like, by the way, is someone who seeks to oppress you. But let me say this. Psalm 98, verse 6 tells us that we are to praise the Lord with the sound of the horn, the sound of the trumpets, shouting joyfully before the Lord. It tells us in Psalm 150, verse 3, that we are to praise Him with a shout on the sound of a trumpet and with the lute and the harp, that part of this praise comes from this trumpet. This trumpet is blown, and we praise Him. And here becomes the problem. You know what's interesting? For the 11 months that we've been here, you know what we have not seen? Complaining. That's the interesting part here. As I remember when we went from Egypt, the moment we, like, we couldn't barely, we were barely out of Egypt. We could still see it. We could still stop at one of those suburb postcard places and still pick up a couple souvenirs of Egypt. 
And we're still going, oh no, we're going to die of thirst. Oh no, we're going to die of hunger. It didn't start, it didn't take long. But what's interesting is, the moment we stopped, the complaining seemed to stop with it. Of course, though we stopped, we also made a golden calf, we danced naked around. There were some other rough things that took place during this time, so it wasn't like utopic here. But please hear me. God tells us this isn't a Christian sit. This is a Christian walk. And you're on a journey, beloved, to become more like him. And because you're on a journey like me to become more like him, he's going to call you to get up off that rear end of yours and actually go. When the trumpet comes, it isn't just for the leaders. It's one trumpet to call but for the elders. But then when that trumpet, that last trumpet comes, man, we all are going to the feast. If you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. But he says it's not just battle. It's also days of gladness. I want you to realize. I want everybody to know I make you glad. I also want everyone to know I fight your battles. So it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're in right now. The horn's there for you. That trumpet, first of all, to remind you he's coming back. But that trumpet also to declare that we should be among each other at those times of great battle. That we're not, and let's face it, if you're anything like me, I like to die alone. You know, I'm the kind of person that if I have a really rough time, just put me in a cave somewhere until I'm done. Some of you are like that. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, hey, you've got a nasty contagious thing. Yeah, you might want to be home alone for that. But I'm talking about those moments where things are a little rough inside. Hey, there are times where you do have to walk it off and you have to get alone with the Lord. But don't ever run from the house of the Lord at a time like that. Because the horn gets blown here for a purpose. And it's to assemble people. And he says, in your battles, I want you to build. Because you know what happens here? Here is where you hear he fights your battles. You're not going to hear it out there. Out there, it's like you need to fight your battle. Here's another DIY book on how to conquer this. And we read in the scripture, God says, can I just step in instead? But the hard part is, is God does not want to jump in while you're still trying to fight the battle too. This isn't one of those kind of weird wrestling tag team things where you're in and he's in at the same time. You know, it's like somehow in it, it's like you're kind of battling Satan and God goes and you tag, he, you know, you tag him and he grabs the chair. You know, you ever seen that, right? And he's like, goosh, goosh, right? It's not like that at all. It doesn't say greater is he who was with me than he who was in the world. It's greater is he who was in me than he who was in the world. You need to see the difference. But it's also going to be times of great joy because interestingly, for some people, you can get really, really blessed and you won't go to the house of the Lord unless you're in a trial. But can I just say the most important thing to God is your relationship with him? And if the only time you cry out to him is in a trial, it's amazing he ever keeps you out of them. If the only time you celebrate him is when you're happy, well, I'm hard-pressed to find people like that, by the way. I find the moment we get blessed, we turn into the book of Judges, and we're like, awesome, I'll see you next trial. God's like, well, then I got one tomorrow for you at latest. But look, we know this, and this is the problem. Progress comes with battles. There will be battles to be fought. But you know the hardest thing about this is? There is a battle every moment we sit as we start to hear the trumpet or we're aware that there is one. Because the battle is, do we want to just cling to the past? Because if we cling to the past, this is the good, the best it's going to be. If we cling to the future where the Lord is going, this is the worst it's going to be. Do you hear the difference? Isn't it awesome to think this is as bad as it's going to be? Because this is awesome. And we're on our way to more awful. And I mean awful in the sense of full of awe. Covered and glutted in wonder. Consumed in his glory. Seeing God do things beyond our wildest imagination. And all of a sudden we're like, wow, we could put this stuff in the Bible and it would just, it fits. So listen. Verse 11 says this. It came to pass on the 20th day of the second month of the second year. Stop. Does anyone remember when the Passover starts? It's the 14th day. The 14th day of the first month. Remember there were some that actually touched a dead body? Do you remember that? And they're like, oh, we, we, why, why do we have to wait? Why can't we go with everyone else? God's like, because you're nasty and filthy. No, he didn't say that. He could have. He said, I'll tell you what. If what you really want is to be with me, wait a month and let's do it. So you could do it on the 14th day of the second month. Are you with me on this? You know what's amazing? He waited. He could have said, let's go. And you guys could have done it on the fly. 
Oh, no. Look at it says, on the 20th day of the second month. You know what that means? The day that, if you go 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, the last day, as soon as the Passover is done, he's like, let's go. He waited for those people. Hey, don't tell me about how God only cares for the masses. This was a small group of guys that were like, hey, we touched a dead body. And God's like, we'll wait. See, for that, God's willing to wait because he saw a heart that really wanted to be with him. But there is a difference between that and just, God, do what I tell you, please. Your will be done. (laughs) So we waited. But now that we've all celebrated freedom, and by the way, the whole idea of it is, God's like, when you look back at your past, could you remember a firstborn died here? When you look back at your past, could you remember the lamb slain? When you look back at your past, can you see the blood? Because when you look back at your past, that blood set you free. That lamb was slaughtered for you. That son died for you. And if you can't see the blood, if you can't see the lamb, if you can't see that firstborn slaughtered, then I tell you what, don't look back. Because all you're going to see is a very wrong view of who you are. You've been covered in the blood if you've said yes to Jesus. You've been redeemed by the Lamb if you've said yes to Jesus. That firstborn God's only begotten Son died on a cross for you, beloved, so that when you look back, it says, paid in full. That's what it says. And then that moment, if I look back, you know what, and I see horrible things, I can't go forward because I'm still busy trying to fix things I can't fix. That thing you said to somebody five years ago, and then they died, and you can't even have an opportunity to say anything about it? That situation when she said, I just want to be friends, you can't fix now. That horrible time when you made really stupid choices. The enemy loves to remind you of your past because you can't change it, but you can see it differently. And if all there is is that and I want to fix it, and I want to dig through that dirt a little bit more and try to figure out what really messed me up at seven or whatever the case is, let's just be honest, you'll never walk forward. Paul says, let me tell you what I do. I leave what is behind behind me and press forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. For whom, by the way, he said, I've suffered the loss of all things, but I'll still do it. Because my eye's on the prize. So it came to pass on that day, now that we're done and we've all looked, and we looked back and said, free. Can you look back and say, free? It's a drug addict, free. It's addicted to sex, free. It's addicted to anger, free. I was a horrible gossip, free. I was controlled by what other people thought of me, free. Covered in the blood, free. I never thought I would be enough, Free. Covered in the blood, I'm free. Afraid if I ever really showed people who I really was, they would just laugh at me. Covered in the blood, free. I'm a new creation. Now that's what I am. Now I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Jesus proved it at the cross. I've proved enough. So now it says, let's go. So there we were. Now, by the way, God didn't warn us. It wasn't that he said, hey, let's have, a, let's have Passover and then let's go. Then he just said, let's have Passover. And then we said, well, we all had Passover. We're just going to chill. He goes, no, 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 not everyone. These guys, we had to to wait a month for them to get clean. So they got clean. A week out of the camp, like they did, like what happens when you touch a dead body. And all of a sudden, there we were. And Suzanne's doing the clothes. You know, Amina's sewing something. You know, that's kind of how it is. You know, um, Joe is doing some kind of funky dance in the front of her house. You know, David's doing a really cool imitation of Charlie Chaplin at this particular moment. Jenny's playing some crazy game and snorting like Peppa Pig. I mean, it's just one of those days. It's the average, normal, ordinary day. Mary's going, what, what? No, 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 I make lamb. Right? Bjorn is heading off to some country that few people visit. I mean, that's like it's an ordinary day. Shirley's hugging someone. It's an ordinary day. And then all of a sudden, we go, are you kidding me? Let's face it. Every one of us probably went, no, 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 no. Really? I mean, I... Sound, sound like a trumpet to you? That sounds like a trumpet to you. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a trumpet. Do you have an elephant in the house? No? No elephant? Hmm. Wait, wait a minute. 
And then we look outside, and where would you, what would you do next? You know what I would do? I would look out at the tabernacle, wouldn't you, to see if the pillar's moving. And it isn't like the pillar was standing at the door going, <clears throat> waiting. The pillar started moving. And as the pillar started moving, guess what? So are we. Because see, this place that we're at, where God says, let me establish this. I need to get you out of bondage before you realize I want to be among you. That's the thing I want to get here. In this barren wilderness, that's what I want you to get more than anything. I want to be among you. Not just I want you not to go to hell. I want to be among you now. And as soon as I get you out, that's the first thing I want to deal with. Let's get that dealt with. Now let's take you to someplace better. But you're with me now. So the children of Israel set out in the wilderness. From Sinai on their journeys, and the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. Hey, do we have that slide, please, of showing you kind of where Paran looks like? (coughs) So we've basically taken about a three-day journey. And as we've taken a three-day journey, and the idea of it is to start moving forward, what we'll find is, is that right here is Paran. This is the wilderness of Paran, which, by the way, is roughly the area of Petra today and, and west of it. So if you get an idea, there is the Med, this is the Dead, or sorry, this is the Med, this is the Red, and this is the Dead. Those are our three bodies of water. As we go down from here, here's our salt. By the way, this would be Sodom and Gomorrah. We go down south, and right here is this wilderness. So we're right here right now on our way up to do this. That's where we're on our way to. See, ultimately the idea is once God got you out and made clear that he wants to be among you, well, then the next thing to do is to start showing you where he has for you. And this beautiful new place, see, he's going to reinsert you into the world to be a world changer. But he wants to get you out first. So you realize Christianity is not about church. Christianity is not about laws and rules. First and foremost, Christianity is about the presence of God living in you. And that came through the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. There will be rules that will come with it. Church is, by the way, one of the benefits, not obligations. This is the new family. And so we started moving. So what happened? They started out for the first time. Look at verse 13 with me. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. This was the first time we've ever gotten up now with God in the center of our camp. Listen to it again. It is the first time we've ever gotten up and moved with God at the center of our camp. It's a very different world. So we got up and we did it. First was the standard of the camp of Judah. Notice that in verse 14. And it tells us, by the way, after that, and he'll move. It says, notice, once that happened, the tabernacle was taken down. But he wasn't going to take down the tabernacle until we started moving. So we started moving. The tabernacle was taken down. Gershon, by the way, and Merari set out to carry it. Then came the camp of Reuben. That was the second of our groups. By the way, that's now our, our south side. We started on the east and we went south. And then the Kohathites started carrying the holy things. Now, if there's two, now there's only four standards. Each one has three, three, um, tribes with it. I mean, six are ahead of this and six are behind it, which means then that the holy things are still in the center of the camp. Did you get that? Six in front, six in the back. So the standard of Ephraim came next, and then the standard of the camp of Dan came in return. But let me warn you here. When you're going to get up and move from just this place, well, there's some changes that need to happen. Interesting. Look at verse 29. and This is what happens. In Exodus chapter 4, when God called Moses to be a deliverer, and Moses started, he hadn't circumcised his kids, if you remember. So what happened is his wife went, immediately did so, because God was actually in a position to kill Moses if he hadn't. And then she got all nasty with him and said, you're a husband of blood to me. Which you may say, she had a really good reason for doing so, but he sent her home from that. You You don't read about her again for another 14 chapters. So what happened is it sounded like she kind of got nasty at him and he said, fine, you're going back to your dad with the kids. And off they went. Exodus 4.25, by the way, for what that says. But now in Exodus chapter 18, it says, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, her name means the little bird, and after he had sent her back. So 
you know, maybe somewhere in it, Moses knew, okay, I'm going to stand before Pharaoh. Things are going to get rough. You know, you might want to go back with your dad until this whole thing blows over. Or maybe it's just like, woman, you're getting on my nerves. I'm sending you back. I'm not telling you either one of those is the case. And I'm certainly not telling you either one of those is godly counsel. God's recording history here, not counsel. But it's interesting that in chapter 18, father-in-law brings Zipporah and the kids back. Says, they're yours now. You're out of. Remember by 15, they walked through the Red Sea. So now here they are. Egypt is dead. He hears about it. And it's interesting because this guy Jethro, also called Hobab, as we see here, celebrates. Moses tells them all the great things God has done. And this guy is like, wow, your God truly is the real one. Which tells us that this whole showdown in Egypt wasn't just for, for Israel. And not just even for Egypt as well. But also, by the way, for the Midianites here who would say, you know what, your God really is the real one. And with that then, he offers a sacrifice to this real God. And then he leaves. So in 18, he, off he went. But somehow again he shows up again. Maybe he showed up to figure out whether, just to check up and make sure Moses was treating his daughter well. It's hard to say. But now notice though in verse 29, Moses says to Hobab, the son of Huel, which by the way means friend of God. What a great name that is. That's Ruth, that whole Ruth thing, means friend. The Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, was setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Now please hear me on this. The last time we have an encounter back in Exodus 18, that father-in-law looks at Moses and Moses is working not nine to five, but from sunup or earlier to sundown or later, judging people and hearing about everybody's complaints. And he's like, oh, you're going to kill yourself. You need some help. Get some backup. Get 70 guys that will back you up. that can handle a lot of the petty issues. And if they can't get past it, let them bring it to you. Moses heeded that, by the way and ordained 70 guys as a result of that, which ultimately will be the birth of the Sanhedrin, as we know it, which means the 70, for what it's worth. So, with that in mind, it's like the guy seems to be in a position where he gives counsel to Moses. So understand, Moses turns and he goes, you know, the Lord's promised us really amazing things, and I'd love for you to go with us in this. And it seems to me that he was okay being there in Sinai, but the moment he started moving, Ruel says, no, it's not, I'm not going to go with you anymore. And I see the hand of the Lord all over this. Please hear me. When you first give your life to the Lord, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes in Christ, desire the pure milk of the word that you would grow thereby. Pure milk of the word does not mean some other pastor teaching you how to do to read the word. Now, you may get all kinds of really cool and funky insights from it, but what you never get is what it's really like to get in the word alone and hear God speak to you personally. And you get to be like that Ethiopian eunuch that says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And that's a really horrible place to be, to be honest. That tells me, if that's the case, that tells me someone's failed. Because we don't get to the place where we start just reading the word. Hey, you don't get it all. God's like, of course you don't get it all. Your brains would explode. But you get what you're supposed to get right now. And you're like, but it's really simple. God's like, yeah, it's supposed to be really simple. And we take that for granted. The reason it's really simple is God made it clear to us. And so with that, we start to learn. But as we start to learn, what happens is we still kind of sit and we, we grow. And somewhere down the line, we grow in our walk with Christ. Not just our sit or our stance, but our walk with Christ to this place where we actually have to start becoming leaders. We don't live to be permanent. Now, we'll always follow Christ, but we will lead others. That's the point. And he's called every one of us to be that. And that becomes the dangerous thing. Because most of us would rather be lazy and just let somebody else lead. And so what Moses does, by the way, in the wilderness, he's like, hey, reminder, in their position, it seems like Hobab kind of has the upper hand, even though Moses is leading two million people. When it comes to Hobab, the guy says something, and it seems like Moses is like, yes, sir. He's like, why don't you come with us, please? You can be our eyes. You know how we set up now. You've read the rest of, you know, the beginning of Numbers. I've been writing it. Well, you know, and take a look at it. And he's like, you know what? No. And can I say, there are some people God ordains just for the wilderness part. And you know what will probably happen with this guy? He'll probably go and find somebody else that's wandering around in the wilderness and help him. Hey, there are people like that. Can I say, in the planting of a church, and we've been blessed to see several churches planted. Hey, the beginning of it, it is a lot like wandering around in the wilderness. Man, you're just trying to find a place to have a church building. Isn't this amazing what we get? Who knows how long we'll have it? We'll take it while we can for the moment until the Lord brings us something else. 
But we set up and we tear down, and we have lots of Levites, by the way. Praise the Lord for our Levites. Those are the guys who carry the, the speakers and set them up and plug things in the right places and, you know, that kind of stuff, which you really don't know about unless there's feedback and you go, Jeffrey, but you don't know how hard he worked to get everything set up. It's the people that carry everything to the front, tear it down, put it all back there and cover it with coverings and a whole bit. People who set up tea and all those cakes and all that stuff that you smelled cooking when you walked in. It's a lot of Levites. It's a lot like wandering around in the wilderness. But there gets that point where God settles you down and maybe you get to that place where maybe you aren't setting everything up every day. But in that first part, there are people that will just be in Awesome. There will be people that will just be in the wilderness. They're like, this is our time. And there'll be other people that will actually walk forward with you. But please hear me in that. You just got to be where God called you, but every one of us is going to walk. You're going to walk somewhere. You need to be where God's called you to. But I want to warn you, the moment you start walking forward, battles are to be fought. And one of those battles is the battle of laziness. One of those battles is going to be the battle of just leaving the familiar leaving those excuses you have. And you're just like, well, I've always been emotional. And God's like, what if I didn't make you controlled by your emotions anymore? You're like, but then I don't have that excuse. And God's like, exactly. But you have some friends that are like, you know, you could just say, you know what, I decided to be emotional today. And they're like, oh, honey, you just get some Ben and Jerry's and watch Oprah. Everything's cool. And it's like, and what happens is in the wilderness, that works out. But sooner or later, you have to get up and leave that barren place for some place of fruitfulness. And that place of fruitfulness, by the way, chances are it's going to be that. And I've learned this in people's lives, mine too. Either truth will dictate feelings or feelings will dictate truth. But as you grow, truth should win. And we start moving forward. But as we start moving forward, that means we're going to get, hear me, hear me, we're going to get farther from Egypt. We're going to get farther from what we've known. And we're going to get farther from our past that we claim to hate but cherish anyways and we hold like a teddy bear. Oh, my, my past is so bad, but you snuggle with it every night when you snuggle with all those old bitternesses and all those old regrets. Like that's what gets you to sleep at night, like a familiar pillow. Do you really think that's what the Lord has for us? So please hear me. We're almost done, believe it or not. But in this, Hobab comes up to the guy and he's like, he's like please go with me. Can I warn you? You might do that to your past. Please go with me. And the Lord's like, no. Hey, old sin, please go with me. Hey, old excuse, please go with me. Hey, old identity, please go with me. Hey, old strength, please go with me. Hey, old regret, please go with me. Hey, that thing that happened to me that I know that if I whip out, people will just instantly ensue pity. Hey, please go with me. And by God's grace, he's like, no, that's not going with you now. That's extra weight, and as you're walking, extra weight is not a good thing. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about that race that we're to run to win, and it tells us to throw off all weight. Because if you really want to run this Christian, and what you realize is as we grow in Christ, it goes from a Christian walk to a Christian race. Man, I want to learn how to run with him. Well, hear me on this. So here we are, and we say goodbye to our Hobabs. Not a weird thought. You know what's interesting? This is the last we're going to see of him. When he says, please go with me, and the guy's like, no, I really shouldn't. And he's like, no, no, really, please, will you go with me? You know what's interesting? It's the last we see of him. What does that tell you? What do you think the end result is? Did he just, from this point on, instantly get quiet? I doubt it. So all of a sudden, here we are. This Hobab, we say goodbye to. And by the way, you know what's interesting? Do you know what his name means? It means cherished. Sometimes you're going to have to let go of that which you used to cherish. You know, there's going to be a day that you're going to be able to show people a picture of one direction and some some girls are going to be embarrassed. I I just want to warn you, you used to faint over these guys. How do I know that? Davy Jones, Sean Cassidy, Westlife, Backstreet Boys. Are some of you swooning when I say these things? Not you, Juan? Probably not. Some people dressed up in those just to look like the new movie 
at the moment. Some of you still have your original Star Wars costumes. Some of you still have all your blue paint from Avatar. Trying to figure out which X-Man you're going to be. But sooner or later, all of that really becomes, as much as it was real in the moment, it isn't as real now. And all of that pain he wants you to let go of. And can I just say the image, I was praying this morning, we were, there were a group of us, and there are a group of us that pray for you now, I hope you know that. Quarter to 11, some of us get here. By 11, we're praying. Some others show up after that. For the Amen. And the image we got this morning, or I got this morning, was of this little kid with a bruise, with a, with a scrape, with a, with a wound. But that fear of showing it to their parent, because they know the parent's going to take out stuff that's going to sting. But they know they need to. And they look at the parent's face. And the parent's face has that peace and the confidence that this is going to get healed. So there's this hesitation, but the child finally looks at the parent's face, looks at the wound, and keeps looking at the wound, and keeps looking at the wound. And as long as they look at the wound, it hurts. Then they look at the parent's face, and the ointment is applied, and the healing takes place. Some of you out here, dare I say, have been staring at your wounds long enough. You've let it identify you. You've let it define you. You've let it limit you. You've let it set boundaries that God did not set. And you've let it redefine Scripture so that when God speaks of an endless horizon, yours is smaller because of this wound. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to love you, to tell you the truth. And my prayer this morning has been, God, show your face so clear that we'll willingly expose that wound to you and let you heal it. But if when Jesus said to the man that was at the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be well? You'd think, duh, why wouldn't he want to be well? Because he had excuses to bank on this way. He had a responsibilities that he could bank on this way. He had a familiarization that he could live with. It was familiar. And he could claim the victim card. And that's what he had to leave behind. No longer a victim. No longer just hanging out with the familiar because it's horrible, but it's familiar. No longer being irresponsible. I'm not trying to make light of the wound. A wound is a wound. I'm trying to make big of my healer. And for whatever it is you've cherished that's wounded you, let the whole babs go. What if you did? What do you think would happen? Do you know what happened? You'd leave that barren place for a place of fruitfulness. You'd follow the Lord like He called you to. And so this cherished goes, I'm going to go to my own land. He's like, yes, but you could be my eyes. And this is what happens, beloved, with what you cherish that needs to be let go. Is it affects the way you see things. He's like, no, I'm going to go. And this is how the chapter ends, beloved. They departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. Isn't that an interesting amount of time? That was the distance, the difference the distance between death and resurrection, isn't it? Do you get it? When we're willing to leave our hobabs, we start leaving our death for our resurrection. When we're willing to leave that place we're familiar with, we leave our death for our resurrection. And the ark went before us. The cloud was above us. And this is the way it went. Whenever we left, we said, God, scatter the enemies. This is what happens. You know, when we go, we know there are battles to be fought. And with every step we take, we want to be reminded, God, it's your battle to fight. But if I grow, people will hate me. Then God, scatter that enemy. Scatter that part of me that has to be so accepted by people who are going to hell that I won't tell them the truth. Give me a real love for them. Scatter the enemy that actually says, this is good enough. This is the best you've had and it's good enough. And God's like, but I have best for you. Why would you want good or better when I have best? And I wonder how many of us will even know God's best. 
because we're too busy compromising and saying this is good enough. So when we go, we know battles are to be fought, so we say, God, as I go, scatter those enemies. But when we stay, we say, Lord, return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. In other words, if I go, it's for you to fight another battle. If I stay, it's for us to get closer. Did you get that? When I go, it's for you to fight another battle, Lord. He says, let's get up. And all of a sudden I hear... And I'm like, and there's a part of me that goes, oh, no. Like an alarm clock that we wish there was a snooze on the trumpet. But no, what happens instead is we say, no, Lord, I want to live in the readiness of that trumpet. Because at any moment, hey, that may not just be the trumpet that calls us all up. That could just be the trumpet that says, all right, look it, there's a season of healing. There's a season when we sit. And now I want to raise you up to lead people. But to do that, we let go of our whole baths. And we let him be our whole bed. We let Jesus be our whole bed. Him be our church. What's interesting is he says that we are to love our wives, husbands, those of us who are husbands, Ephesians chapter 5, like Christ loved the church, past tense, by the way, which tells us of an event versus just a feeling. And gave himself for that he may cleanse her by the washing of the water. The word presenting her before himself, spotless, without blame or wrinkle, before him in love and all glory. And it tells us that our husbands are to, no man hates his own body, but he cherishes it and nourishes it. And that's how we're supposed to love, like Christ did. The word cherish is right there. He goes, that's the way that Christ cherishes his own. Is the way you treat your own body in those moments when you're like, I just want more good in it. He cherishes you. We are his whole bad. Not the one to leave behind, the one to embrace. Because we are his future. We are the party embraces forever. Shouldn't we make him last? So when we go, what if from this point forward you're like, and you know, the Lord has different trumpets. Sometimes they're internal, isn't it? Sometimes there's that thing inside that says, go! And you're like, I don't think I can hear you. And God's like, do you really want me to scream? It gets ugly. Sometimes he'll bring outside sources. Sometimes he'll bring a restlessness. Now, I'm not just talking about, like, hey, you need to get out of London. I'm talking about you just need to get out of where you are. Out of complacency. Out of this is good enough for now. For now, well, the for now just ended. Now we have a new now. And we're getting up and we're going to grow in him. Sometimes that trumpet's on the outside. But he knows how to blow it. And you know how to hear it. And God's not going to play games with it. He says, it's time to go. It's time to stop looking at our past and letting it define us. It's time to move forward. And as we move forward, I know this. Every step I take, it's another enemy for God to scatter. Fear, self-reliance, vanity, pride. All for him to scatter. But then when he says, now let's stop, it's to grow more intimate. Let me see what you want to do inside and then let me see what you want to do as we step. See what you want to do outside. It's all Him. So as we start to talk next week about what God wants to do as we start to move, isn't it enough right now just to face the Lord and say, Lord, let me let go of those holdouts, those things I cherish, which, by the way, need to be left in the wilderness for that place of fruitfulness now. God didn't just take you out of bondage to put you in wilderness. He took you out of, listen, listen, listen. He took you out of the world. He took you out of bondage to put you in a place where the old generation can die and the new generation can rise up. The old man dies, the new man rises. And here on this three-day journey, the old man's time to die so the new man can rise. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, he's already killed him, but you're dragging him around like a doorstop. He's stinking. It's a body of death, which Paul speaks of in Romans 7. It was a way they killed Roman, soul, Roman prisoners that they hated. They chained a dead body to a living guy because the living guy never won. He doesn't revive the, the dead. The dead body erodes, decays, and creeps into the living. Is that what you're trying to do? Is just drag that old you around that's decaying? Oh, the new you looks like Jesus. Let's walk together. Lastly, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, it would be my honor to invite you today to say yes to him. And all that means is this. He paid for your sins on the cross, and mine too, and rose again from the grave on the third day. He died and rose again, three days in between. 
That death says who you are now can die. The resurrection says I've got a new creation that no longer is under the bondage that you were under, but is free. Covered in the blood, you set free. But what God is asking is for your permission. God's like, can I transform you? And he's a gentleman. He's standing at the door and knocking and he's asking your permission. And if you're willing to declare him Savior and Lord, he's willing to do the work. He's just looking for your permission. If you have said yes, let's ask God to do something crazy. Let's ask God to reveal that wound or wounds and then let him heal them today. What if we walked out of here healed? Would that be crazy? Sounds kind of like the Lord. What do you think? Let's pray. So here we are, Lord, calling out to you one more time. And I confess to you that there are times where I've lived very trumpet unready. That no matter what it was, I'd be just too comfortable on my couch of compromise. But Lord, I come before you right now with my beloved brothers and sisters in this room right now. And Lord, we need you so desperately. Lord, we need you to motivate our hearts for movement. Lord, that this church would not concede to the normalcy of what may be called or accepted as Christianity, but that every one of us would grow to be the leaders you call us to be to lead others to you. To no longer follow the world and its destructions. To no longer take its definitions and to no longer take its priorities its value systems. But to be different like you ordained for us to be. So Lord, we pray right now for every person here, myself included, God, whatever we're holding on to that belongs to die in the wilderness, whatever we're holding on to, Lord, that keeps us from moving to that place you've ordained for us of fruitfulness, whatever it is, Lord, we're holding on to right now that is so cherished, but in your eyes so meaningless, Lord, Give us a disdain for it like you do. Like you have for it. And release from our hands the death grip we are holding on to. So that we could be free to follow you when that horn is blown. Even if it's just deeper into you. We recognize that you do ordain times just to sit still and know your Lord and to draw closer to you and be intimate with you. But we also know there are times, Lord, where you lead us to move forward, to grow in our walk with you in such a way, Lord, that we know with each step there may be a battle, but that battle belongs to you. And Lord, if we are fearful because we think it's our battle to fight, give us bigger faith. Light that fire under us to walk with you in such a way. So that, Lord, we know that every step will be another battle you will, that you will fight. To another enemy you will take down. Another foe that will be vanquished before us, Lord, because you go before us. And, Lord, for every time we sit still and just go, I feel like I'm in a holding pattern. I'm not even walking right now. If that is where you have us, then, Lord, grow us deeper. Grow the roots deeper deeper in you, so that we would be stronger and feasting on you, Lord, so that when the next battle is to be fought and the next step is to be taken, that we would take it in greater faith. And Lord, I just pray right now that as you start to reveal those wounds, those crutches we're holding on to, those things that we've let define us that are no longer part of us, Show yourself the great physician. Show yourself the God of life who makes brand new, brand new. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would do exactly that. That you would transform us, transform us into people who are trumpet ready. And right now at the sound of this voice, if there be any who have not said yes to this Jesus you've not accepted his gift or you're not sure you have, you can know you have today. And he asks your permission. Can I take who you were, you are at this moment, and cover you in my forgiveness? Let that person die and create a new person that is free, no longer under that bondage, a new creation, 
free to serve and to love and to be joyful and to live a healthy life now. And if that's you, listen. I'm just going to pray a prayer and ask you to listen. And if you're willing to say yes at the end, then what you're saying is, that's my prayer now. Let that be my life now. And here it is. God, I'm a sinner. You know it. I know it. And my sin, Lord, is something you have a right to punish. But I know that you died on a cross so that all of my guilt could be punished. Three days later, rose again, just like you promised. And so, if you're really willing to forgive me, I say yes. If you're really willing to cleanse me, then I say yes. If you're really willing to heal me of all my shame and my past, then I say yes. But I recognize that's half of it is just saying yes to who you were for my past. I say yes for who you are in my future too, to be my Lord now, to lead me, to be my victor, to be my bodyguard, to be my Savior and Lord my love, my life. And so I say yes. Have me. Make me pure. Make me clean. Make me yours. I surrender myself to you now, Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.